So from this point, life goes on. I go through high school. I do all the, you know, high school things and um, graduate. And at that time, I was going to go into the Air Force because in inner city schools, it's pretty much what they tell you you're supposed to do. And all the military recruiters hung out pretty much with the kids at the school, took us on all kinds of field trips and skating trips and all kinds of stuff because that's what you do, I guess, when you're in an inner city school. They try to highly recruit you for the military. At least that was my experience. There was a whole other set of kids that performed really well athletically, and so they were recruited by colleges, but it was all based on athletics. So I really thought that you couldn't go to college unless you play sports. I didn't understand that college was also for <laughs> academics. Isn't that crazy? But that was my experience that in my school, academics was not pretty much the highlight. It was athletics was the highlight. And then if you weren't going to do athletics or some type of trade, like nails or hair or whatever, then I guess you were going to the military. So although I was a very high performing student considering um, the circumstances no one had a conversation with me about college at school, ever. So I had pretty much signed up. I took the ASVAB, and I remember that I had a um, 98% on my, I don't know what it's called, English or um, English language art side of the ASVAB, and pretty good score in math, too. And they had come to me, and they were like, oh, my gosh, you know, your score is so high. You can pretty much choose to do anything you want if you go into the Air Force. Like, you don't have to worry about... Um, uh, you know, just being sent all over, they're going to really give you like a desk job and so on and so on and so on. And I was like, is that supposed to be like good? I don't know. But I remember them having that conversation with me. And so I was thinking, hmm, I guess maybe I am kind of smart. And I had another friend. Well, actually, no, my boyfriend at the time, he played um, sports and he played baseball. And so he had got a scholarship and he was going to a university. And so we were, you know, talking about that. And I was like, well, I wonder, like, why can't I go to that university? Like, do they take other people? And I remember his mother was like, yeah, they take other people. Like, all you have to do is apply. And I'm like, how do you apply? I had not had a conversation with anyone. She said, you need to go to your guidance counselor. We didn't go to the same school. So I went back to my guidance counselor. And I remember her saying, like, who, like, who are your people? And I'm like, what do you mean my people? Like, who are you related to? Like, I don't nobody. Well, um, what are your grades? So my grades pretty good. So you, what school do you want to go to? I said, I don't know. Like, what school can I go to? And I remember her saying, like, here's some applications. Like, I don't have time for that. Meaning, like, I don't have time to talk to you about that. Here's some applications. And I'm like, I don't even know which school I want to go to. So then I said, I want to go to the school, you know, that he was going to. I said, this is the name of the school. She was like, oh, you can't get into there. And I was like, why not? She was like, you have to have really good grades. I was like, I do. She didn't even look at my transcript. She didn't look at nothing. She didn't know. So I took that little application and I went back to his mom, my boyfriend's mom, and she helped me fill out the application and I sent it in. And the only reason I was sending in that application was because my boyfriend was going to their college. Like literally, I didn't even know what I was doing, but I ended up getting accepted, which was crazy because I only filled out one college application <laughs> and, um, I was able to get enough financial aid to kind of cover the room and board and tuition. So I thought that was pretty good. Like I can go up there and I can try this, maybe see how this works out. 
And at the time I graduated, I was 17. I was not going to be 18 until September. My birthday was in September and school started in August. So I said, that gives me enough time to go up there in August. If I like it, I'll stay. If I don't like it, I already said I was going to the Air Force. I just wait till I'm 18 and I can sign a little paper. So I ended up going and I loved it. I had the best experience in my university, even though the first week me and that particular boy, my boyfriend at the time, we broke up that first week and I was like devastated. But at the same time, <laughs> I was like, it doesn't matter. Like I'm up here. There's a whole bunch of guys that got over it pretty quickly. And I really enjoyed the um, academic environment. I attended an HBCU, an amazing HBCU, which is historically black college or university. And there are several throughout the country. And um, it was the most supportive environment I have ever had in a school. And it was the most educational. I mean, to be sitting there and to be thought of as smart and to be getting information and knowledge and to be presenting it in a way that's meaningful and relevant to you and your situation in the world was amazing. But I digress. I could do a whole nother story just about my experience at HBCU. But while there... Again, I went to my desire that I believe that my purpose here is to work with kids. So I became an education major. And um, at this particular university, the expectation was if you're an education major, you're going to start right now, like doing observations and working with schools and many internships because we don't want you to get to the end. And then when you get around kids, you say, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't like kids. <laughs> so... The school had their own developmental research school, elementary school, middle school, and high school right across from the school, the university itself. So what a better place to be able to go to an actual school and work. So we were able to just literally walk across the street and work in classrooms in either elementary, middle, or high school settings with great teachers and in a great environment. So I began working in um, the different schools doing First observations and then actually getting involved and doing many lessons and working with kids, which was amazing. I loved it. I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I absolutely love working with kids. I love teaching. It is the I have found it what I'm supposed to do. Like, really, this is it. At the same time, again, I needed to work. So I started working at Subway there in the city that the university was in. And pretty soon that summer, I heard of an opportunity with Parks and Recreations where they were offering opportunities for summer camp, um, lead teachers, things of that nature, to work in summer camps throughout the city. So I interviewed for that, got hired in a community center and summer camp that was right across the street adjacent to a um, low-income housing um, facility and so all the students, all the kids that live there would actually come to this particular park and they had so many different activities going on as well as summer camp so I ended up working there and I worked there actually six years after I graduated I stayed worked on my master's and still worked at that particular setting I loved it because I was able to continue on my education and then work there in the evenings about two o'clock to ten o'clock at night so I could take all my classes in the morning and still work with kids in the afternoon. Kids would come there after school. So we had after school help component and I got to work right there with kids and do so many lessons and some instruction because I was still 
um, able to do that with regard to their homework. But then we also had classes. I was a Girl Scout troop leader. I was a step team leader. We had food and nutrition classes. We had different games and activities come happening. We had arts and crafts. We had talent shows. We had so much going on and it was such a safe and nurturing environment for so many kids in the community. I built great bonds with different parents. I still have students that, um, were in that particular program that um, I keep in touch with now. So I was able to really become entrenched and ingrained with working with all different ages of students in our most neediest population at that particular time because of the setting. And so much so that even after I graduated with my bachelor's degree in elementary education, I did not take an elementary education job. I stayed right there at that particular community center and just took an administrative role. Later on, when we um, moved out of that city, decided I got married and we decided that we were no longer going to stay in the city. It was time to leave because the market was flooded. There are two universities in that particular city and it's a very small city. So it was very hard to find any upward mobility or advancement. So we decided to move to a bigger city, not not too far, about four hours away and start our own um, family at the time. So then I said, you know, I wanted to be a teacher. I've been working here, but it's time for me to use my degree. And I became a teacher in an elementary school and then later transitioned to the middle school that that elementary fed with and also to the high school. So the cool thing was over the course of the years, I got to teach some of the same kids I taught in third grade, again in eighth grade, and then again in 10th grade and then see them graduate. So, um, And again, it was a very needy area and made some amazing bonds, actually was um, teacher of the year one year and became really a champion for equity and supporting students in need. I had fulfilled, I felt like um, my purpose, it was to be there for children, be a champion for education and make sure that education being the great equalizer in this country was afforded to all students and I really saw the inequities between what students got in certain schools versus what students got in other schools based on the particular zip code and socioeconomic level. So I was serving children. I began to then say, well, maybe it's time for me to start my family. I talked to my husband about some of the earlier issues that I had and that I really want to um, foster children. I want that to be something that I do. That is a commitment that I made a long time ago. And now I feel like I'm in a place where I need to honor that promise, honor that commitment, and ultimately, hopefully adopt, you know, a child that is in need. Like I I want to be able to fulfill that promise. I made that promise. And I said, when I'm ready, and I don't know, you know, people can sometimes say, well, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. But If I begin to start my own family, I'm going to forget and I may not do those things. So luckily, I had a amazing man husband that said, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm okay with that. We can we can we can do that if that's what you you know want to do. So we started looking into foster care. And by that time, I had so many kids that actually um stayed with me at different times because their parents, if their parents had to do something and get somebody to watch them, they'd rather have me because I worked at the center, you know, to be able to watch kids. So it wasn't like I didn't have, we didn't already have kids 
in the house or with me at different points because I was so involved with so many activities around that particular community center. But uh, we looked into fostering and said, okay, you know, maybe we can go ahead and foster um, some kids and see how that works out. People cautioned me like, that's hard. It's not something you want to do. And I was like, mm, something I got to do, you know. And so we also talked about, you know, starting our own family as well. So it was like, well, we could maybe we could do both. We could be working on starting our own family, but we could also be looking into this foster care thing. So that's what we did. We became licensed to become foster parents. And we actually did um, end up fostering several um, kids. Some were siblings together. We had as many as four in our home at one time, two as um, as little as one, you know, child. And we did that over the course of, I would say, five years, maybe three to five years. And at that time, we were still working on our own family and I wasn't getting pregnant. So, um that threw a whole bunch of other wonderings in my mind. So now I'm dealing with, wow, I love kids. They're the most important thing to me. This is what I was put on this earth to do. I am honoring that commitment that I said I was going to do by fostering and looking into possibly at some point adopting. And I'm ready to start my own family and give it all that I got. And I can't. So I felt like I remember talking to God at that point and saying, oh, wow, like if this is not meant for me now, is it because are you punishing me? Are you punishing me because I made that decision? And if you are, (laughs) I got to I got to take what it is like. I got to hear your answer that you're telling me. No, you're telling me your answer is no. Like you can't have this. I gave it to you and you did not. Um, accept it and now guess what I'm not going to give it to you and so there was some of that going on in my head that this is a punishment because you made the wrong choice and I was like wow I wish the man had just told me like what was the choice I was supposed to make and I would have done it I would not have gone against you God like that I don't know I, I, I didn't know he didn't tell me the answer I thought I was making the right choice what he told me was that you know you will make the right choice. <laughs> oh, and I guess I didn't make the right choice, even after somebody came and told me. So I remember beating myself up for a long time. And um, we didn't have health insurance. So I wasn't going to the doctor. We didn't have insurance to go to the doctor to figure out what that is or to explore other options. And at that point, I wasn't even ready to. I was like, I, I don't I don't know. Like, I'm young. I can, I can keep trying. We kept fostering. And... Um, at the time, just fostering, there wasn't, um, there weren't children at that particular time that we thought would particularly be up for adoption. We did have some, some kids that were with us for around 18 months. And we thought at that point, like, I don't know if these children are ever, um, going to go back. And they were, um, an amazing contribution to our family, loved them so deeply. All the kids we had, you know, we, we truly loved, but we thought these ones, we're going to stay. And I remember in um, coming around that 18 month where it, they started to have conversations about if this doesn't work out, these children are going to be up for adoption and they're going to need a home. And we told them at that time, they don't need a home. They got a home. So if that becomes a situation, we're going to all absolutely adopt. And that point I was like, wow, if that happens, I'm going to have three kids like, you know, and 
what does that mean? Like, if I even wanted to try to start the family at that time, do I want four? Like, this is already a load to take care of. So maybe this is what, you know, I was meant to do. So I had a conversation with God that time. So I get it. You know, I'm not supposed to have any. These were the, this is what it was. And this is why they're here. And absolutely, I would never say no, that they couldn't continue to stay. They're going to stay. And just when I had kind of resigned myself to that, the, um, the kids got sent back and it was to um, the father who I guess had been in prison, got out of prison and said that he did not know his children were in the system. And so the judge awarded him um, custody immediately. And it was like we had like maybe 24 hours to get their things together and they were going back with dad. That absolutely ripped my heart out. That was another extremely challenging, challenging circumstance. So they went back and we never saw them again, which really ripped my heart out. But it was, it's, it's part of the fostering process. And I believe it was at that point where we were like, look, I need a break from this. I can't, I can't do that. That was very traumatic. And um, we took a break as foster parents. And taking that break, it put me more in the line of, okay, now I'm wondering again, why am I not getting pregnant? Um, I don't know. Is this another punishment? Like, not only are you not going to have your own, you're not going to be adopting anybody. So I said, well, I'm going to have to accept it. Like, he is the best knower. And if that's what he said, if, if I prayed and he said no, then the answer is no. Like, I got to live with that and just be um, faithful enough that you've been given a great opportunity to be able to be a teacher and work with children every day. And you made the decisions that you made. And these are the things that is just, is your life. So you have to accept that. And there is no use in being bitter about it. Why would you be bitter? Like there's so many blessings that you have, things to be grateful. So just take it with stride and it is what it is. And if it's meant to be for you, it will work out. And we did, at that time, I started having problems with also my um, monthly cycle and the flow and um, just some pain and things. I ended up going to the doctor, finding out that um, I had fibroids. And at that time, they had to do a um, surgery. And um, in doing so, they were able to take out some of the fibroids. But I also said that after the surgery, they, they didn't see anything that would have been an issue with regard to fertility. So that was important to know. Um, but they also said, if you, you know, want to um, continue to look at this, you know, you can do all this and this is the cost of in vitro. Like, I ain't got that kind of money. So I guess we're not doing that because I don't have that kind of money. So and it's not like I'm good. Like, if that's what I've been told, I can accept that. I, I really can't accept it. And um, I didn't hear a no from doctors. I just heard we need more to do. And I wasn't willing to go through all of that. It's not I. I I already know I have been pregnant, so I know I can get pregnant. And if something happens um, during the abortion, that was my choice. So I don't think you can undo it. And if it's not me and it's my husband, then, hey, so be it. I love him. This is how we ended up together. And this is going to be the story of our life. So we never found out exactly what the issue was. I just know it never happened. Thank you for listening to Blood Ain't Always Thicker. Please hit subscribe and share our podcast with others that may need to hear this message.